listener. Hi, and welcome back to Broadsheet Sydney Around Town. I'm Emma Joyce, Features Editor at Broadsheet, and I'm the host of this short audio guide to Sydney. Daniel Hume, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for coming in. We are here today because you're going to talk to us about the residency of Eleven Madison Park taking over ARIA for two weeks, which you're about halfway through at the moment. Before we do that, I would love to go back to a really pivotal moment for your restaurant because COVID was an awful time for many people across the world and it's something that's changed direction for you in terms of how you think about cooking, uh, the produce you're plating and the experiences that diners get at your restaurant. So take us back to that moment. We've gone into lockdown. You're having to rethink what you're doing as a restaurant owner, as a chef. You have three Michelin-starred restaurants. So, you know, you are top of the game, top of the mountain, I've heard you say before. You can tell us a little bit more about that. And you decide, okay, something needs to change. Yeah. What happened? No, and I'm going to take you back just a little bit further. Um, Please do. In fact, to like more the beginning of my career. And I was on the path to be a professional cyclist had an accident um, when I was 22 years old, um, knew that cycling wasn't the path forward. And uh, I had this love for cooking. And so I decided to make cooking my new sport. And I went sort of at it with an athlete's mentality. And it was about trying to be the best, working with the best, winning awards. And sort of trying to reach this mountain of three Michelin stars and eventually um, actually here in Melbourne um, in 2017, we received uh, the award of being the best restaurant in the world. Let's take a moment to celebrate that because that was huge and you essentially did win the gold medal of cooking. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I mean, also there is no best restaurant in the world. It's kind of a silly thing to even think about. But, and and in fact, all of these awards are kind of silly, but it does give sort of like a North Star and it gives sort of like the team a direction that is measurable. And it's very powerful because it did make a restaurant better and better and people were focused and motivated and had high standards and all of it. When we reached sort of the last award, which was the best restaurant in the world, at that point we have reached every award there was. And all these awards are sort of these carrots in front of us. And in the moment we reached that, the last one, it was actually quite um, disorienting because now we lost the direction where we're going. Mm, Back down the mountain from here, maybe. It was a little bit back down the mountain. (laughs) When you reach this kind of success, you're getting pulled in so many different directions, flooded with opportunities. You're not prepared for it at all. No one prepares you for this. And so it's quite disorienting. You quite don't know what to grab onto. You feel like 
it is a moment and somehow you need to capitalize on this success, otherwise it's lost. In a way, um, the pandemic almost came as a gift. At the very beginning, the pandemic came as a shock. And basically overnight, it went from a busy restaurant to zero business. Our restaurant ended up being closed for 18 months, um, like no business at all. And of course, that was devastating. And the hardest part was um, that we lost a lot of our team because people work with us from all over the world. So people went back to their places, countries, visas expired. Um, and, you know, I, I think in real estate, people talk about location, location, location. I think in the restaurant business, it's like people, people, people. People is everything. So that was devastating. But I'm a co-founder of an organization called Rethink Food. We take food from restaurants, prepare meals for people in need. As the pandemic started, we lost those resources because everything was shut down. So I decided that I would turn 11 Madison Park into a community kitchen and we just started cooking meals for people in need. We cooked about 8,000 meals per day every single day. We cooked over a million meals. And not only cook with the meals, but we, we also went out into these neighborhoods, see where these meals are going, who are the people who are distributing these meals. It made me connected to New York in a way I've never felt. It made me feel like I'm a New Yorker more than ever. It also made me feel connected to the language of food in a way I wasn't for a long time. And even though we were facing bankruptcy during the pandemic, and I didn't know if there was going to be a future for the restaurant, I got up in the morning and I felt like I had a purpose. Mm, really and, motivational. And it made me happy. And I learned that really purpose is what brings happiness. The big change, the one that most people think of as being quite risky was deciding that the restaurant was going to be plant-based going forward. Obviously, this was a huge risk, but you also retained those three Michelin stars. So tell me about basically becoming the first Michelin-starred vegan yeah. fine diner. Yeah. I mean, it was just a wild sort of time and a, a wild journey. When it became clear that we had the opportunity to reopen the restaurant and I sort of started to think creatively again, I, I just knew that I had changed and I knew that I didn't want to open the same restaurant and I almost felt a responsibility to use this platform of 11 Madison Park, um, the platform of our creative team to use food for a change. When I started seeing this and started feeling this, I couldn't quite unsee it or, t or turn back from it. It was a huge risk, but during the pandemic, it felt like we had nothing to lose because we're facing bankruptcy and there's no business. So like from that place, we made this decision. Of course, then when we started hiring people again and getting ready for the reopening, then all of a sudden you have like sleepless nights. You, you know, you have a lot of doubts. Is this going to work? Is anyone going to come? And, uh, and, and then, you know, it can be quite um, uh, scary at times. But um, I'm so proud and I'm, I can't believe that we had the courage to do it because it was also, I think the time was, was exactly right for this kind of change. It was also about rethinking what luxury is, 
Um, you know, some of those ideas that we celebrated for a long time. Mm, we, so moving away from yeah. lobster necessarily or duck or any of those foods that have us thinking of like luxury yeah. and also richness. Like caviar, for example. Mm -hmm. There is nothing luxurious about caviar today. It's all farm raised. Um, it doesn't taste that good. You can find it anywhere at the airport. You can find caviar. So it's not that luxurious mm. or at all. So it's an old idea. So we kind of got to challenge some of those ideas. And even like, you know, we feel so much about what we eat as part of our identity. That also has to change. And I think it's the role for chefs and restaurants to kind of challenge these traditions so we can create new ones. Mm. It's possible to create new ones. Why do we eat turkey on Thanksgiving? No one even knows. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to find out. <laughs> As part of the Michelin star status, I know the guide specifically mentions the faux butter that you serve. <laughs> And they say it's a magical creation. So yeah. I would love for you to tell us, what is the butter made of? What makes it magical? I don't really like the, f the word faux because that's not really our intention. Mm -hmm. Our first thing when we, when we decided to go plant-based was sort of like thinking about what is our pantry? In the old days, it was like chicken stock, you know, cream and butter and sour cream and cheese and fish sauce and all these things that that makes the food really delicious so we kind of went to the drawing board and we said what is our creme fraiche what is our cream what is our fish sauce and one of the things was was what is our butter and so we started playing around with it and we uh, made a sunflower butter where we make sort of a sunflower milk from the seeds and then we make a sunflower oil and we sort of emulsify it together and uh, we serve it in this beautiful sunflower shape. Like a, is it like a kernel, I guess? Mm. It's a beautiful shape. It looks uh, almost onion-like for me, as though someone sliced an onion halfway through. Gorgeous. You don't even want to scrape into it, I imagine. And you serve that with a bread that I know you've said is quite flaky. Yeah, and th that's another thing. It's a It's a laminated bread, which is sort of like a Mm. mixture of a croissant and the brioche and a, a bread that usually relies on, on, the, on, butter. on the butter. <laughs> and so we kind of wanted to prove the point that you can do it without animal butter. You've mentioned that faux is not a word that you like the association of. Um, and I imagine that's because you want vegetables to taste like the vegetables, you want the carrot to taste like the carrot, the lettuce to taste like lettuce. What is exactly. the, what is the dish that you feel sort of most proud of for bringing out the flavor of what you're serving? In the beginning, it's sort of like you're you're thinking a lot about okay, how, how can we make things taste as rich as things with meat do, and how can we add umami, and how can we add technique and fermentation, and all these things. You're almost kind of overdoing that. Because you're trying to push against being just vegetables. And, and then another question is like, who are we even cooking for? Are we cooking for people who are eating meat and now one day eating vegetables? Or are we cooking for people who are eating just vegetables? Because the palates are completely different. So it took us quite some time to find the place where we want to be. 
And we want to cook whole foods. We want the ingredients to taste like the ingredients. And we really had to learn at times to just get out of the way, just to use our cooking in a very subtle way to let the ingredients shine as much as possible. And that pursuit takes a lifetime and, and we're nowhere even close to, you know, to the end and we'll never reach it. Right now in New York, it is springtime and sort of like when you come out of uh, fall and winter and then spring arrives, uh, spring almost makes it kind of easy. Like we have this beautiful dish with like these sugar snap peas and we're only using the inside kernel of the sugar snap peas and they're just so sweet and so delicious. And um, yeah, I think that's one of the dishes. I think we have a beautiful dish with asparagus. Um, I, I think as a chef, spring and summer is a little bit more about assembling ingredients. We have our own farm upstate too. So the things are so sweet and, and, and just exciting. And then in the winter, it's a little bit more really about cooking. Like, I mean, it takes a lot to you know, have like a celery root or a parsnip to be like a star of a dish. So that takes a lot more thought than cooking. Well, we really appreciate you coming to Australia's winter Yeah, to come and cook during Vivid Sydney. You've taken over Aria, Matt Moran's restaurant, on the harbour side. You've got front row seats of Vivid. What's the restaurant like for you, just the experience of being in that space? Well, I would just want to give a shout, give a shout out to uh, Matt Moran and his whole team at Aria. It's just a fantastic restaurant. They could have not been more gracious uh, to welcome us into their home. We've been able to tap into the resources of this incredible team and to their farmers and 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 producers. So um, it's it's gone um, incredibly smooth. Um, it's always hard to be in a different city, mm. in a different continent, in a different season. You're serving a nine course tasting menu, mm -hmm. but also lunch, which is a shorter mm -hmm. menu. Are you bringing over dishes from 11 Madison Park? Are you recreating something for Australian diners? We really wanted to bring 11 Madison Park to you. We're here just for two weeks, so it's limited of how much we can embrace this place. We use all Australian ingredients, which we worked with the team for the last six months to make sure we have the understanding on what's available. Uh, we have we have one dish that's really beautiful. That's sort of like a half of an avocado with these tamburi seeds, which is from the cochia plant, which has like this really nice texture. For some reason, when I think of Australia, one of the first things, one of the first ingredients comes to mind is avocado. I don't know why, but... <laughs> well, we know why. It's certainly one of the breakfasts that has taken the world by storm. And certainly in New York, if you go to New York, yes. cafes, there are so many influenced by Australia and also run by Australians yeah. that we are proud of as an export. As you should. Have you eaten out while you're here? We have eaten out. We've eaten at Aria which is just so stunning and so beautiful and so delicious. Um, and then we've also gone to St. Peter's and the chef there, Josh, is uh, also doing exceptional work with fish. And I really appreciate um, him 
pushing the boundaries uh, in the way he does, I think is quite unique. Yes, his sustainable approach yeah. to using the whole fish yeah. is something that's also taking the world by storm. Yeah. His cookbooks are certainly very popular. Yeah, no, he's excellent. Do you eat meat? Are you following kind of a plant-based diet? You know, I'm, what do you do personally? I'm, I've been all my life living sort of a very plant-forward lifestyle, uh, even since I was like a competitive cyclist. And then, of course, cooking and learning how to cook meat, then it's t- kind of taken me into that world. But today I am almost, uh, almost 100% plant-based. It came from a creative place to make the restaurant plant-based. And then our own diet, and I'm speaking for me and I'm speaking for most of our team, our own diet has sort of followed behind. Because when you eat a plant-based diet, all of a sudden you start to feel so much better. So then your body starts to crave vegetables and not meat anymore, which is really interesting. What's next for you? I think we're in it, uh, bringing, <laughs> bringing the plant-based sort of message into the world. We always talk about this is not anti-meat, but this is pro-planet. And I think we all need to sort of uh, change our, our, our habits. And uh, I can tell you, um, living this plant-based lifestyle and having the plant-based restaurant, it's so beautiful and so expansive and full of opportunities. And we want to share that sort of magic and and what's possible uh, with as much of the world as we can. Well, the 11 Madison Park residency at ARIA is part of Vivid Food and it runs until the 17th of June. Please come. And that's all we have time for today. As always, you can keep up to date with what's happening around Sydney at broadsheet.com.au and at broadsheet underscore Sid on Instagram listener production.